Well, session three of six, I spent too long in the last one, but hey, um, we're going to get there. So let, let's talk a little bit about understanding soulish prophecies. So I'm going to start, I'm going to lay kind of a, a small foundation and then talk about what, what this looks like. Um, so starting with 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul, it, it's a prayer of Paul. Um, I pray that you may be sanctified body, soul, and spirit, and kept blameless until the coming of the Lord. So in, in this, I mean, Paul's obviously, his main point is sanctification, that that's his key. But in communicating it, he clearly separates the body, the soul, and the spirit, that we're, we're actually three parts. We're made in the image of God, and one of those ways is that we, we actually are three parts. Um, Man, I could talk about this a lot because th this is one of those areas that, um, especially in the charismatic, that we, can, we get into some weird ideas. Um, it's not just the charismatic, actually. It's, it's in the church in general. Um, this idea that, you know, well, here, here's a common phrase. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. Right? It, it's that, that's some of the worst theology that's been popularized ever. You are spirit, soul, and body. You know, Paul says that we, we long to be out of this tent that is the flesh, not that we would be unclothed, but so we could be further clothed because we're going to put off the terrestrial body and put on a celestial body. We're going to put off the earthly body and put on a heavenly body. So we're never going to be without a body. We're never going to be without a soul. And we're never going to be without a spirit. Um, so that, that, that's, that's core in understanding that. But there's a difference between soul and spirit. And, and, and that difference is, is key. The, the spirit is kind of that, that essential portion of us that was created to directly commune with God. Now, we completely commune with God. There are times when our communing with God affects our bodies, right? You feel the warmth. You feel that tremble. You feel, you know, something going on. It, you, know, um, you know, Jesus says, I, I am he, and everybody falls down. Like, there, there's, there's things that happen in the body when we commune with God. There, there's also things that happen in the soul. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. What you think, what you want, what you feel. Like that, that portion of ourselves, um, that, that communes with God. Actually, under the law, we're told to worship the Lord with all your mind, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. So the mind, the will, and the emotions completely involved in that. But then Jesus changes that in, in John chapter 4. He, he adds to it. He doesn't remove the old, but he adds to the old. There's a time coming and now is when the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So we still love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. So he still has soul and body going on, but he adds the spirit. Is the spirit is that portion of us that, that was made dormant in the fall. So un under the fall, humankind, their spirit, they didn't lose the spirit. They didn't be without a spirit, but their spirit was, was dormant, was subjected to the flesh and to the soul so that there was not that interaction with the spiritual world that Adam and Eve had. But when Jesus came back, he brought back this new creation where, where God's spirit actually unites with our spirit. And, and we don't just get back to what Adam and Eve lost. It's something better than they ever had. He, he was the firstborn of a new creation. And, and he was firstborn so that all of us would be made just like him. 
And part of that is this uniting with the spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, He who belongs to the Lord is one spirit with him. Our spirit, his spirit merges and we become one spirit. This is the new creation. This is what it means to be born again, born anew. But like every birth, we're birthed into an immature state. So it doesn't matter if we're 90 years old or 9 years old. When we get born again, we're born in an immature state. It has nothing to do with physical age. It has to do with spiritual maturity. And spiritual growth does not have to do with physical time. Spiritual growth has to do with surrender. Has to do with alignment with the nature of God. And so as we agree with him, we grow. So somebody can be a Christian for a long time and never mature spiritually. But our surrender to him and to his will and his presence allows us to mature. And as we mature, our spirit grows. Now, spirit, soul, and body, all three can interact with the spiritual realm. Um, the, The body can feel What's going on spiritually? You, you feel when there's usually demonic spirits, you, you, there there's, tends to be a chill. Air gets colder. When it's angelic presence, it tends to get warmer. Like there, there's, there's a heat that comes. There, there's the, we already talked about the, the tingling. There's spiritual smells, spiritual sight. But sometimes we'll actually see something with our physical eyes. Not all the time. Most times when people say, oh, I see something, it's, it's a mental vision or a spiritual vision. But sometimes it's actually with our physical eyes that we can see things. And there's clear examples of that that's in Scripture. The soul also can discern and interact with the spiritual realm. So what's happening in the spirit can affect what we think, what we want, or what we feel. Now, the spiritual realm is not only God's realm. It's the spiritual realm. There's good and bad spirits. And so one of, one of the easy ways to discern what's going on in a region or what's in an area is paying attention to what you're thinking. Not every thought that you have is yours. Do you realize that? Now, sometimes that gets taken too far. Not every thought that you have is yours, so pay attention to your thoughts because that's God speaking to you. It could be. We've already talked about the discernment. Some of your thoughts are actually thoughts that are coming from God. Some of those thoughts are actually thoughts that are coming from other people. And some of them are coming from the the spiritual realm, which could be good or could be negative. So paying attention to those thoughts and... and, um, and allowing ourselves to recognize them, but also discerning them is key. So, spirit, soul, and body. The soul, in the fallen state, learns how to take over what was intended to be the spirit's place. We were intended to connect with God spirit to spirit. And actually, that, that's what we've been brought back to. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is talking about the, the spiritual man, that, that, we've been, that we've been given this spiritual capacity that we connect spirit to spirit 
and the spiritual man is able to discern rightly. The natural man cannot discern the things of the spirit, but the spiritual man can discern the things of the spirit as well as the things of nature. So that there's, there's a, an ability to recognize the spirit, that spiritual capacity. The natural man, he says, is unable to discern the things of the spirit. The soul in the fallen state will not allow us to see clearly spiritual realities. It gets filtered. It says in another place that the spiritual things makes no sense to the natural man. The natural mind. Now, here's the thing. When we become spiritually born again, we're born in an immature state, which means that we need to grow. Our soul is already full grown. And so part of maturity is bringing our soul into submission to the spirit so that the spirit rules. Bringing our thoughts, bringing our emotions, bringing our desires into alignment with God's will and God's nature. Now, it's not removing the soul. The soul is not bad. The soul is good. The fallen soul is at enmity with God. It fights against the things of God. Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. Right? The, the fallen soul begins to fight against the things of God. But as we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, then we start to move towards the Spirit. But if we set our minds on the things of the flesh, then we're going to end up in death. And so that, that growth of soul versus spirit is a process that happens. But as the, until the soul gets brought to that place of surrender, there are old ways of thinking and old ways of wanting and old ways of feeling that still make sense to us that actually filter out truth until they're confronted with truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 4 through 6, so the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, taking every thought captive and bringing it into obedience to Christ Jesus. So that spiritual maturity looks like the spirit given the place of rule and the soul coming into submission. Our mind, our will, our emotions aligning with God's mind, God's will, God's emotions. Not removing our mind, our will, or our emotions. And, and each of these, they, they, have, they have places, um, errors that, that try to remove them. I, I've been in a meeting where the person ministering, um, you know, is talking about the things of the Spirit, and their comment was, don't think, drink. Spiritually. Right, this idea of just surrender to the spirit and let go. You don't have to use your brain anymore. Well, that's not biblical. That that there's that that's dangerous. But then you have a whole nother section of the church that would say, "Well, ignore your emotions. That's going to lead you away from God. So just trust your mind." That that again, that's an error. And then you have this whole other area, and I mean, it, it's most clearly seen in Zen Buddhism, but it's crept into some areas of Christianity where you have to ignore your will. If you want anything, that's an attachment to this world. 
And so there, this false religion tries to kill the soul, but you need the soul to be able to worship God the way that he asks. What is the greatest commandment? That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You need your soul to give God the worship that he deserves. It just needs to be directed in the right way. So you can't assume that the soul is naturally going to the right place or to the wrong place. It has to be discerned by the spirit, which means that you learn to discern yourself. And when you discern yourself, then you can trust to discern what's going on spiritually. If you can't discern yourself, you're not going to be able to discern revelation, other situations. So this process of growth is key. Because the spirit, excuse me, the soul pretends to be the spirit until it's brought into, uh, into the place of obedience. Jesus said, um, he who seeks to save his life must lose it, but he who loses it for my sake and for the gospels will gain it. Remember that verse? Well, take a look at the Greek. What it actually says is he who seeks to save his soul will lose it. But he who loses his soul for my sake will gain it. So we actually have to bring the soul to death so that it can have the life that God intended. This is Paul saying, I die daily. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is that understanding of what that means. And so until that happens... We start thinking that what we hear, what we see, what we think, what we want is what God thinks, what God wants. And our soul will begin to give us revelation that's not God speaking. We really want something and we start to notice things or hear things that confirm what we really want. And sometimes we stretch things to fit what we want them to say or want them to mean. If we're really honest with ourselves, we will see that. Not everything is a sign, but that doesn't mean that nothing is a sign. And being able to separate out what really is a sign and what isn't a sign, because there are things that, that are signs. There's a guy by the name of George Mueller. He was around the, the turn of the 20th century, a great man of faith. Some call him an apostle of faith. Um, he, he had just this prayer life that was astounding. He, um, uh, you, you can find uh, excerpts of his journey, actually, a journal. Actually, I have a, a book that's um, all excerpts from his journal. It's an autobiography. And it's just this story after story after story of him, you know, just believing God for something and starting to pray. He had a, a conviction um, that he, he felt was from the Lord that he was not supposed to tell anybody what he needed that he was just supposed to pray. And so at, at the time, it was common for pastors, um, the way that they got their salary is you rented pews. So if you wanted to come to church, you paid a fee to, to sit in a pew. Um, and he's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to put a box in the back. If somebody wants to give, they can give in the box, and whatever they give, that's, that's what I'll take as my salary, 
right? And so, I mean, he just, he had this radical redefinition of things that was built on the trust from God. Well, doing that, he, he, in, in today's equivalent, he, he ended up building um, orphanages that, that would have been around 20 to $30 million without ever telling anybody that he needed anything. Um, one, one time, they had about 30 or 40 kids and the, in the orphanage, and it was time for, for their meal, and they had no food. And so they sat around the table. He got all the kids, they sat around the table, and they began to pray and thank God for the food that he'd provided for them. There's a knock on the door. They go out, and the, the, um, the wagon, I think it's called wagon, that was the milk cart, had broken a wheel. Well, there, there was no refrigeration back then. All the milk was going to spoil. And so the wagon driver said, hey, all this milk is going to spoil. Do you guys want it? And so they ate. Stuff like that all the time. They're, they're, were, they're getting ready to build a building, and somebody from another country sends a letter and a wire and gives them the money that they need just because they sat down and prayed. I mean, he had so many astounding examples of God showing up through prayer. And in one place, he explains his secret. He, he, I mean, he didn't use the word spiritual neutrality, but I love that, that phrase. But he, he would talk about how he would not trust himself to hear from God if he had a desire for it to be filled one way or the other. So if he really wanted this, he would pray for that, but he wouldn't trust that he'd actually heard God's will until he could genuinely say that whether God says yes or no, I'm going to be equally happy. And he would pray for the surrender of his will to God's will until it was surrendered, and then he would let it move and trust that it was God leading. And, and this, this principle is so key when it comes to the prophetic, because this is one of the ways that we can keep our soul out of it. When we've already decided what we want to hear, you cannot trust yourself to hear. And so it's okay to pray for that thing, and it's okay to want that thing. God doesn't want to remove our wants, but that's not a promise from him. And we can't trust ourselves to actually hear from God. I, I, I've, I've talked to dozens, maybe hundreds of people that, you know, single and felt like they were going to get married and had the prophetic words about the, their spouse and what was going to happen. And trying to figure out how to deal with the disappointment because what they'd heard hadn't happened, wasn't true. And it was their soul. It wasn't actually from God. I've talked to some that it really was from God, and it really did come to pass. So you've got to get to the place where you can really say, whatever you say, God, I trust you, and I want what you want. Not what I will, but what you want. This is what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, he had a desire. I don't want to go through this. Is there any way I can get out of this? Take this cup away from me. But not what I want, what you want. So don't get into the religious thing of pretending that you don't care. Be honest. But bring that honesty into submission to him. And in that place, you can start to hear. And what happens is, if you've already decided what you want, what you think, or what you feel, 
uh, you can actually broadcast that desire to other people and they will prophesy it back to you. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 14. Starting at verse 1, it says, And then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore, speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are all estranged from me through their idols. Now, we understand that the concept of idols is whatever you check in with before you obey God. That's your idol. That could be your understanding. It could be your finances. It could be your family. Whatever you check in with before you obey God. When we have an idol in our heart, and we, we've decided this must be God's will, not because God's spoken, but because we want it. And we come to inquire of the Lord, he will let us hear our idols speak, and it won't be him. And he does that on purpose to reveal what's actually in our hearts. Because if we're honest, we will see the reflection of our own hearts in the word. And it would bring repentance. But if we refuse to let go of the idol, it'll actually confirm the idol. And it strengthens the stronghold that's within us. And here's the problem. He's not saying that it's just when we come directly to him. It says that even when we go to other people, the prophet. Now, he goes on to say, but the prophet that speaks according to the idol, I'm going to judge that person. So, one of the things that you, you can grow into is as you recognize this, you can start to hear the idols of people's hearts and hear what they want and recognize that it's not God. You, you'll feel, and it, it'll, it usually, because usually idols speak through the soul, and so it feels like the soul. So what they feel, you start to feel. What they want, you start to want. What they think, you start to think. And so if you, if you pay attention to that, when, when you get revelation, you don't just, well, information in this example, you, you don't just run with whatever stimulus comes. You always take it back to God. All revelation is an invitation to engage God for more. So you take that little bit that you got and you don't just run, oh, I had this thought, it must be God. Oh, I had this thought, God, what are you saying? Is this from you? What are you, what are you, what are you doing with this? Are you speaking to me out of this? Is this you speaking? Is this them speaking? And you start to engage with God. You start that conversation with him. And, and, and sometimes you, you'll be able to see the, the idol that's there, you'll be able to reflect the idol back to that person, but in such a way that you help to tear it down rather than strengthen it. You really want this to happen, but God is letting you know 
But you don't need that to happen for you to have value. He loves you as you are. And now all of a sudden you just pulled the weight, that influence out of that idol and you gave the person a path to freedom rather than confirming them in bondage. And so just because you hear something when you're trying to minister to somebody doesn't mean that it's actually the Lord. Just because you hear something when you're engaging, asking, doesn't mean that it's from the Lord. You still have to talk to him about it. There's conversation. He's actually, in, he, he's very interested in relationship. He, he wants that ongoing conversation where we're talking back and forth, where we're, where we're communicating, and he will help to clarify. He'll help to bring understanding to those things. Don't, don't run too quickly. Linger for a little bit with him and let him speak into those things. Augustine in the fourth century said, Lord, teach me to know myself so that I may know you. One of the keys to discerning is knowing yourself. Know what you want, what you feel, and what you think. If you can be honest with yourself and honest and, and actually understand it. And some of us, we, we shut down our feelings so much we have no idea what we're feeling. Some of us are so afraid of our feelings that, that we, we, just, we, we, we stuff them until they become too much. And then when, they're, when we're in the middle of the feeling, we have no idea what it is that we're feeling. We, we couldn't give a word to it at all. It's like there's just... But if you start to allow God into that place, one of the, one of the great practices, I, I learned this from a, a guy by the name of Peter Scazzaro, is, is to start as a regular part of your prayer life asking God four questions. God, what am I sad about right now? And just sit in his presence, see if he gives you an answer. God, what am I mad about right now? God, what am I glad about right now? And what am I fearful about or anxious about right now? And if you, can, if you can start to bring your prayer life into your heart and allow your heart to be a part of that expression, your capacity to discern what's you, what's somebody else, and what's God will increase exponentially. It, it is, it's so helpful and so powerful. That makes sense? Yay. What am I sad about? What am I mad about? What am I glad about? What am I fearful about? All right. Well, let's go to our next section. Working with leaders and advisors. So God puts us in community and appoints leaders to help us. It, it's, it's the way that, that he operates. And you, you start looking through the, the biblical records and the biblical stories and how God uses leadership. This, this is a, a, a key thing. And, and we're, we're called in community, in family, to discern together what God is doing. Because God works in, in his corporate nature. Um, it, it's so assumed in Scripture 
that if you come from a very American point of view, we, we read scriptures and we miss how corporate it is. But it, one word in the New Testament, the word you. Now, when I say you, unless you have other context, you have no idea if I'm saying you individually or you, all y'all, right? All y'all. 85% of the time in the New Testament, the word you is used as plural. And we take it individual. 85% of the time. It's actually plural. We're, unless we understand the corporate nature of how God works with a group of people, we're, we're going to miss something. We, we think that we can come to the will of God on our own. You cannot. Well, what about Abraham? Uh, he had about 320 people that was part of his family that went with him. And that was after Lot left. How many went with Lot? That's five, 600 people minimum. I mean, maybe it was 400, but most likely, most likely half went with Lot. I mean, that, that, that was a large community that was traveling through. He was not this isolated person that was out there. Well, what about Elijah? Well, what about all the schools of the prophets that Elijah started? In every place that he went, he developed community that, that stood there. He had one in Shiloh. He had one in Ramah. He had one in Gilead. He had one in Jericho. Uh, he, he had these... These communities that he operated in. Jeremiah talks about the other prophets that were around him. There were bad prophets, but there were also good ones. He was married to a prophetess. Right? So there's, there's a community aspect to this thing that once you start looking in Scripture, once you start seeing community, you, you can't unsee it. it it's so clear in, in Scripture. And God has called us into family and together we start to discern what is God's will. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when it's talking about the prophetic, it says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge, which means that the people that speak don't get to decide whether or not it was really from God. The other people that are there do. Of course they thought it was God or else they wouldn't have spoken. it. <laughs> like that's already assumed. But now somebody has to figure out if it actually was God. Like that, that, that's how it works in community and, and, and starting to trust God's ability to work through the people around us and especially our leadership is key. So a number of years ago, Don and I were, um, we, we'd been a part of a, a church. We were in leadership there, had been in, in, in a variety of, of forms of leadership and uh, we're, we're starting to get hungry. We're just realizing like that there, there was more available um, and, and a lot of the things, and, and try to say this in, in the right way, a lot of the things that we were looking for was, were starting to be shut down um, where we were at. You know, and people wanted to, to learn about healing or, or hear from God and, and different things that people would be coming to us and asking us for advice. And we, we just knew we, we weren't there yet. We had a lot to learn. And people were coming us to, to lead. And we, we knew we weren't going to be able to get to where we were going unless we found somebody that, was going, that had been further along. And so, you know, this hunger. And, and it, was, it was God that was prompting us because there, there was clearly a call of God that was on our life. It had been communicated, been prophesied with, with you know, in that community um, of what God was going to do. And so in, just, in this desire, we, we heard about uh, 
Actually, it was, it was a while back. It was Morningstar. It was very first starting their ministry school. Um, so this was like 99, 2000. Uh, two, no, it's 2001. 2001. So they're they getting ready to start their ministry school. And one of the things that they were going to do is they're going to teach about, you know, how, you know, how apostles operate and, and understanding the prophetic and, and, and that piece. And we're like, well, we really need to learn about that. And, you know, we don't, we don't hear much about that. Um, that, that's one of those areas, and we can be a part of this community. This would be great. And so we, we started looking into it, and we, you know, we found a piece of property that was in the area. Um, we didn't put money down on it, but you know, we, we even found a floor plan and started. We had plans uh, of building a house and, and this whole thing, um, moving in that direction. And before we finalized and actually made it happen, we went and sat down with our pastor. Hey, this is what we're thinking about. This is, these are the things that have led us in this direction. He goes, well, you know, it seems like, you know, God's doing something. I just, I have some concerns. Um, I, I'm not real. I don't really agree with the, the theology. You know, there, there's, and, you know, I want you to read this article and this article. And it was articles saying that we didn't need to learn the things that we felt God was telling us we needed to learn. And so we canceled all of our plans and we didn't move because we didn't have a blessing. And we just waited. It was about a year and a half, two years later, we were walking down the street one day, still had this hunger, still knew that there was, there's got to be something more. And we're, we're walking in our neighborhood. And, and you know, still, I, neither one of us can remember who said it. But one of us said, well, well who's the most like Jesus you want to be like? And my answer was, well, John Wimber's passed away. Um, John Paul Jackson. And Donna's like, well, where's he live? Let's move there. <laughs> and so we, we started looking in that direction. And we went to our pastor and said, hey, you know, this is what we're thinking about. This is what's going on. And he goes, you know, I, I, you know, I think God's doing something, but I, I really have some concerns with the theology, but I, but I think that this is God. Let me know when it's your last Sunday so I can give you a blessing. And we went with a blessing. If we would have went with our first thought, I mean, the very reason we were going was the very reasons he didn't want us to go. Like the things that we knew that we needed to learn were the things he didn't want us to learn. Or we knew what God was calling us to, but we didn't get the blessing, so we just canceled our plans. And if we would not have done that, we would have missed. I would not be here right now. I wouldn't have been mentored by John Paul. I would have probably went to that ministry school and been one of the people that was part of that ministry school. And I don't know, who knows where that would be. But I would not be where I'm at. I would not have grown in the way that I've grown. I wouldn't have done what God wanted me to do. And when, when that happened, I mean, one, one of the prayers, I mean, it, it, was, it was not easy. It's not like, oh, yes, this is wonderful. I'm, I'm loving submitting to my pastor right now. I'm like, God, <laughs> Are you crazy? You, you said to submit, so I'm doing this to you. <laughs> you know, the heart, of the, the heart of the king is in your hands. You can turn it like a river and put it wherever you want. I'm trusting you. I'm glad I did. So when, when it comes to discernment, having people in your life, community, Real family that actually knows what's happening in your life. 
that actually know your strengths and your weaknesses, that know your idols <laughs> and know your gifts, like people that really know you, that love you, are going to be able to help you discern. And, and, and too often we, we allow church to be a social club. We show up a few minutes before, we get a cup of coffee, we say hi, we wave, and we know four or five people's names, and we think that we have community, and as soon as the service ends, we're out the door. But we're not actually doing life with this people, but, but we, we, were, we were told in Scripture that when you become a Christian, you leave whatever family you had, and you become part of the family of God, that the people around you that you're called to, that's your new family. I mean, we're in the South, you know, blood's thicker than water, right? Until you're in the kingdom. And the waters of baptism are much thicker than any blood that flows through your veins. Your first family is the people of God. Your first commitment, your first priority are the people of God. That's your family. That's your tribe. That's who you belong to. If you belong to him, you belong to his bride, period. And there is safety. There is strength. That, that, that's where you're going to be able to discern. And, and you find people that are in that community that can help you to discern what the will of God is. That, what, what's the timing? Hey, this is what God is saying. Like The question was not whether or not God was calling us someplace. Just, but this isn't the right answer. And it's not like he, he wanted to lose us. I mean, the, the plan of our pastor was that we were going to be the next people on staff. And we were being groomed to take over. I mean, not take over the whole church. He's still the pastor there. This is you know, almost 20 years later. But, you know, being groomed, to, like, that, that, that's what we were. I mean, we were interning. I mean, I was there 20 hours a week on top of my full-time job working with the pastor over evangelism and assimilation, doing all this stuff. I'm the guy that called every newcomer when they filled out a card. I called them up and, you know, prayed with them and led them to the Lord and invited them to the church and put them in touch with the right people. I mean, like, like this was family to us. We were family to them. They, th this, this was real life. So it's not like he's like, oh, finally, I'm going to get rid of this trouble. It's like, this is my son. I don't want to lose him. And when we left, he's like, your fingerprints are all over this church. We're not going to be the same without you. And we left well, and we left with a blessing. And the reason that I teach the way that I teach is because my pastor was a teacher. And I've got the grace that was on him because I left well. And if I wouldn't have left well, I wouldn't have got that grace. Honor releases grace. Uh, there's a passage, Paul says that it's the only commandment with a promise. Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you and you live long in the land that the Lord your God has promised you. And that is a clear talking about physical father and mother, but there's also a spiritual application. How you honor your first pastor and your first church where you were first discipled will determine how long you'll last in the destiny God has for you. Hang on one sit for a minute. 
how you honor your first church where you were first discipled. The pastor, the leadership is the father, the church is the mother, will determine how long you're going to last in the land of destiny that God promised you. How you talk about them, how you let yourself think about them. But I had to leave there to grow. Okay. Doesn't mean you can't honor. Doesn't mean you can't honor what was good there. There was good there. But there was bad there. Of course there was. It was bad in you too. That's you ignore that, you can ignore it in somebody else. So yeah. give somebody else the same grace you want for yourself. Honor. Really honor. Because when you do, you get destiny and you get grace. Honor releases inheritance. How you honor those that you've received from determines how much of the grace that was on them that you get to walk in. So we need somebody in our lives that knows us well enough to see the soul, but's mature enough to speak the truth. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. I think I know this, but I'm going to look it up to make sure. Do I have that right? That's not right. It's not chapter, oh, I went to the wrong chapter. My finger is too big. I'm like, wait a second, that verse 14, that, that does not sound like what I wanted to say. <laughs> All right, the, actually, I do have a right one. 11:14, where there is no guidance, a people falls, for in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. But I hear from God, great. How well? How's that worked out for you? Well, I heard from, I've got these great experiences and all these broken relationships behind me, but it's going really good. Man, there's so many little rabbit trails. Remember, uh, Numbers chapter 16. Dathan and Abiram and Korah. Korah gathers 250 Levites. It's like, who's Aaron and his sons? They, they can go stand before God. Like all of God's people are anointed. We all have equal access to God. We can all do, I mean, they're not that special. We can just do whatever Aaron's doing. What's Moses' response? Okay, you want to bring incense before the tabernacle? Get your incense, grab your censers, bring your incense. 250 of them show up. They've got their incense. They lay incense and they stand before the tabernacle and fire comes out. And instead of it lighting the incense, it lights them and there's not even bones left. There's just ashes. When the priests would go into the tabernacle to, to bring the tabernacle, because their responsibility was to carry all the pieces of the furniture. They, they would tear it down, and they would carry the, the ark and the menorah and the altar of incense and the table of showbread. And 
And they would carry it from one place to the next place. When they went in, God said, make sure that you don't let the people decide what they want to carry. Because if they do, judgment will come upon them. Let the sons of Levi tell them what they can carry. Unless their ambition brings them under judgment. We, we live in America. And democracy is the best government the man can come up with. It's just not how God does things. I'm going to step on some toes. I hope this is okay. But I'm convinced from Scripture. The way that you get to vote in the kingdom is with your feet. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. Because of this, those that sow discord and division in the body of Christ come under the judgment of God. And I have worked with church after church after church in different countries and different places. It's not an American issue. It's, it's a person issue. It's a heart issue. Where people have tried to bring division. And I've watched their lives. I've cried over my friends and watched their lives spin out of control. Watched their marriages fall apart. Watched their finances dissolve. Completely justified in their rebellion. Thinking that they can split the body of Christ. And walk away without a cost. Dathan and Abiram, they were of the tribe of Reuben. Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob. It was the right of leadership. Went to the firstborn, right? But Reuben had lost that right because of his sin. But Dathan and Abiram thought that they were going to get that back. I mean, they were of the firstborn tribe, and they were the leaders of their firstborn tribe. They should be the leaders. And so they, 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 they've come up with a plan, a better plan, that's going to be better for the people because the people are suffering. It's hard. It's, we're walking through the desert. There's not always water. There's not always food. And this guy keeps on, I mean, he just came up with this idea. Now we've got to put tassels on our clothing. We're going to have little strings hanging off the edge. What? This is just, it's too much. It's stupid. Like, can we just just do something common sense? Let's just go back to Egypt. At least we had plenty of food. We were okay before all this started, and somebody tried to give us these dreams of being free. Like, we, we didn't have to worry about our finances. I mean, things were taken care of. I mean, yeah, we were working hard, but... I mean, at least things were okay. Let, let's just go back. Remember what happened to Dathan and Abiram? Hey, once come to the tabernacle. Let's let God settle this. I'm not going to do what you say. I'm not coming out to your tabernacle. You can't tell me what to do. Okay, we'll come to you. Moses and Aaron go out to the tent. Hey, by the way, just um, really good idea. If you don't 
get too close. Don't touch anything that's theirs. I would suggest just stepping away. And if you think that this is about us having a power trip, then nothing normal is going to happen. But if this is actually what God is doing, it's something that's never happened before will happen, and the earth itself will open and swallow them. And the earth opened up and swallowed them. Because rebellion is a principle of hell, and so hell itself opened its mouth to receive them. One of the problems that we have is it's not just in the church, it's how we treat our government. It says pray for those that are in a position of leadership, not pray against. I mean, if you know the guy that was in rule when Paul wrote that, a new emperor had just arisen, Emperor Nero. If you know anything about Roman history, Emperor Nero, I mean, he, yeah, he's actually used in psychological studies as an example of crazy, literally. I mean, he, he wanted light in his garden, so some of the the Christians that he had um, put in prison, he just shoved them on stakes and doused them with oil and lit them on fire so that he could see at night in his garden while he walked around because he didn't want to wait till the next morning. Yeah, crazy. Submit to your authorities. Paul wrote about that guy. We think that we have a right for a rebellion. Doesn't mean that we don't disagree. But how do we talk about authority? How, how do we respond to authority? Where's our heart? Is our soul actually in submission to the ways of the Lord? See, this, this is actually where spiritual maturity gets discovered. Because spiritual maturity has nothing to do with giftedness, has nothing to do with Bible knowledge, it has nothing to do with capacity for leadership. Spiritual maturity has to do with the amount of the nature of Christ that we manifest in our daily lives. That, that's how you recognize spiritual maturity. How like Christ are we? How, how patient are we? How kind are we? How good are we? How gentle are we? How self-controlled are we? How loving are we? How peaceful are we? How joyful are we? This is where we find out whether or not we're spiritual. That's what spirituality looks like. Well, I was trying to talk about discerning. Revelation. But it actually is a key... Thing. It's one of, the, one of the discerning principles. Because the Lord is not going to speak rebellion. That's the devil. So when somebody starts mouthing rebellion, just realize what source they're speaking from. 
it'll save you a lot of pain. Back to working with leaders and advisors. We want people that know us well enough to see our soul and mature enough to speak truth to us. People that actually know doctrine and scripture, not just information, but actually carry the heart and the nature of God. They actually have that spiritual maturity. People that we can see the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the kinds of people that we want speaking into our lives. Not, not, not the people that tell us how gifted we are, because they, they, they may be using us. Yeah, you haven't run into that before, have you? Lisa's a friend of mine. I know a little bit of her history. We want people that are led by the soul and that are not just yes men. I mean, not, excuse me, led by the spirit, not the soul. Can I say that correctly? We do not want led by the soul. <laughs> we want people that are led by the spirit and not by the soul. They're not yes men. And, and you know, we, we've, we've understood in the church, we've understood for a lot of years the, this idea, but we've lost it in some of our contexts because we, we've made the role of the church about conveying information instead of training us for living. We've exalted teachers above fathers. And we wonder why we don't have the community that the early church had, where, where they, would, they would live and die together. Gladly. <laughs> Gladly. Um, man, I keep on thinking story after story. Stay where I'm at. But we, we had this thing, you know, for, for centuries in the church, actually millennia, called spiritual directors. And the idea of a spiritual director originally was the idea of someone that was this. Somebody was actually mature, carried the fruit of the Spirit, knew the nature of God, understood the ways of God, and they would be somebody that you could confess sin to that would walk you through the process of dealing with that thing, figuring out what the root of it is so that you could grow and you could mature. Somebody that would help you to discern revelation and then bring counsel and wisdom as you responded to God. Now, this is not about control. This is about helping. That the idea of leadership in the kingdom, uh, having authority, is about this loving service that comes under to lift somebody else up. It's not somebody that domineers and holds people down. In the kingdom, what, what true leadership looks like, it's somebody that through their loving service actually lifts somebody else up into their potential. That's what it's supposed to look like in the kingdom. That, that's, how we rec that's exactly what Jesus did for us, right? He, he came into our place and he lifted us up into our potential, into what he saw into us. And as we follow him, we, we become more of who we're actually supposed to be. That, that's what true leadership does. It brings us into who we're actually supposed to be in Christ. Spiritual directors. Okay. Well, I just hit a number of things on discernment and on, on leadership and some different roles. Why don't we do just some short Q&A We'll keep it to about 15 minutes at the most. Um, and then I've got a couple more pieces to, to add to this. So any questions, thoughts? Ms. Mossy. Sorry. I love this subject, so 
I'm always excited. Um, in regards to uh, Ezekiel 14, about being careful to not let idols speak into our lives, is that yeah. also speaking into our lives? And then also when you're prophesying, letting those idols speak into what you're trying to prophesy, correct? Yes. Yep, both end. Okay. Does that include, like, witchcraft and the spirit of Jezebel? Um, th those are some complicated thoughts. Not necessarily. Not necessarily, though that can be an influence. Um, you know, there's a Proverbs that says that um, a curse without cause shall not alight. Right, so there's got to be a place for a curse to land. There's got to be something that it can land on. And so when it comes to witchcraft, when we recognize witchcraft, if there's no place for it to land, it's not going to have a lot of influence. Um, but, you know, the, the, the root of witchcraft is manipulation. And so there's charismatic witchcraft, there's emotional witchcraft, and then there's demonic witchcraft. And they're all equally evil. Um, charismatic witchcraft is when we try to use our gifts to apply our will to someone else. So we prophesy what we want somebody else to do instead of what God wants them to do, or what we want to happen in their lives instead of what God is saying in their lives, or we pray our will over someone instead of asking God what God's will is. That, that's, that's charismatic witchcraft. Emotional witchcraft is when we use our emotions and our personality to try to force someone else to do what we want them to do. Um, that, that, that's emotional witchcraft. And then obviously the demonic is when we're using a spirit to, a, a false spirit, a demonic spirit, to, to cause somebody to do our will. Um, they're all equally evil. They're just using different sources for it. Would it still fall under like Ezekiel 14? That's a slightly different thing. Um, I'm trying to remember which, wasn't it uh, Isaiah? No, maybe it was another place in Ezekiel, but he, 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 talks about, um, he talks about the people that prophesy, but also the people that use their spiritual powers to trap souls. And he uses that, that phrase to trap souls. That, that passage is more talking about that, not necessarily this. This, this specifically, what this is specifically talking about as someone that has set an idol, like, I want this, and I'm going to give my time, my energy, and my money to getting this in my life. That's an idol. Like, it's the goal. It's the thing that I am moving towards. This, that's an idol. Mm -hmm. um, when, when we have that, and it's not surrendered to God's will, and it's not surrendered, he doesn't get to speak into that. We, we actually will we'll twist God's voice to agree with that idol. So what this is talking about is once we've already determined, I don't care what God thinks, we don't even have to say that, but I want this, and we refuse to listen to the possibility that it might not be God's will, that that becomes an idol in our life, and we will tend to hear things that confirm that in our life, even if it's not God. So like if you're praying for someone, you should, like let's say I would be careful to really hear from God and not be led by what I'm feeling that that person's desires are. Yes, yeah. okay, exactly. Perfect. Very good. Yeah, that's a great application of that. Anybody else? Yeah, Chris. Yeah. I'm coming, Chris. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. You gotta wait. You gotta wait, man. 
And we're, I'm ready. That's good. Thank you. So, uh, as Christians, if the idol speaks, is that a demonic speaking? Not necessarily. It, it can be, um, but not necessarily. Sometimes it's just uh, what, what, another word would be a stronghold of our heart. So not all, all strongholds have demons, but they're houses that are comfortable for demons to dwell in. So sometimes there are demons. Demons you cast out, strongholds you tear down. So an idol, not all idols actually have demons inhabiting them, but they're an open house that are easy for demons to inhabit. So uh, Christians can't have demons? Christians can be influenced by demons. So in, in the Bible, there's actually no word for what we think of as demon possession. The, the Greek word is diamonizomo, which means to be influenced by a demon. So the influence could be torment. It, it could be a physical infirmity. Um, it could be thoughts. It could be temptations that come from demonic sources. And we can give that more and more authority in our lives by choosing to agree with it. And so, yes, Christians do get influenced by demons, but that doesn't mean that a demon owns them. That, the concept of that, that word possession, because we think of ownership, it's just not in Scripture. Even, even for the non-Christian? Even for the non-Christian, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, I was going to say, you know, people have a tendency to gravitate towards one sin. Most mm -hmm. people can probably name that. At what, at what point is that a stronghold? Um, when we say yes to that. So th there's a, a famous saying that one of the reformers, I think it was Martin Luther, says you, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. <laughs> right? That, that, that concept of, you know, there, there's, you're having the thought and, and just like here's, this is a con this is a temptation that I've got to fight, that, that's one thing. It's another thing when I've submitted to it and I've given room to it and, and I've said yes to it and, you know, I flirt with it. Like, I don't want to go that far, but this far isn't too bad. It kind of feels, oh, no, but I'm, I don't want to go that far. Right, you know, so we, we kind of play around with seeing how close we can get before we actually do the sin and we, well, we don't want to actually do it. Like that is giving it room and allowing it to become an idol. Sooner or later, if you allow that to happen, it will sooner or later take control. You, you will cross the line. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So you were speaking about... Um, Hearing God's voice, uh, hearing the enemy, and having thoughts given to you by God, the enemy, and others. Yeah. Like, what, is, what would it look like if you were given thoughts by others? Because as, as you've been t uh, speaking about that, it, it's, it's brought up situations to where, like, I think and that's how things went down. Like, I was picking up on on their desires and their wants. And I was like, oh, this must be God. Um, yeah. Is there a, a better way to have discernment in those situations to where you're not getting caught up in their, um, yeah, their, their projections or, yeah. or their excitement and being able to um, 
like, okay, this is this is fun, but this is where where is God in this? Or yeah. am I answering my well, own no, question? That, that, and that, that's really exactly it. Where, where is God in this? And so it's taking that initial thought or that initial prompting and then turning it back into prayer. You know, hey, you know, when I look at this person, I think, what are you saying, God? Mm. You know, what do you think about that? And sometimes it, it, it's like, you know, if, if I notice somebody that's limping, I'm probably going to ask them if I can pray for them. Sure. Not because God told me to, because I noticed them limping, mm. Right. Uh, I'm not going to go up to him and say, hey, God showed me that you've got a problem with your knee. Can I pray for you? I'm going to be, hey, I noticed you limping. And so if I, if I get information about what's going on, maybe somebody's, you know, something that somebody wants or, or something like that, I, I'm not going to assume that just because I notice something that it's actually God, I'm going to ask him, what do, you, what do you think about this? Now, if I have relationship with that person, I may just have a conversation with them even if I never hear about God. I just won't bring up God said. And, and that's one of the things. I and mean, it's one of the things in, you know, I, I keep on mentioning, you know, R.T. Kendall's book, Prophetic Integrity. But one of the things he talks about is just never saying God said. Right. You know, I had a thought. I have a feeling. I had a vision. I had a dream. Yeah. And, and just letting it play out. If it's, if it's God, it'll prove itself out. Mm. Right? And, and that thing, what, what if you say God said, and then you find out God didn't say? Mm. You, you, you're actually taking God's name in vain. And that, that is a problem. That, that, that's, that's a real issue. Actually, yesterday on the, on the way up here, I was, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine that is a lawyer in, in Canada and a brilliant man. Um, and he was talking to me about the prophetic community and, and just what he knows as a lawyer on libel, um, slander, yeah. and bearing false witness and, and how to, you know, what, what's hearsay and, and what's truth. And he says, if we would just take common sense law that has actually been developed from scriptural concepts, the, those things came out of scripture, that, that's why they've been in part of law since, you know, for, for uh, you know, almost a thousand years now, but hundreds of years, um, and just applied that to how we operate in the prophetic, man, it, it would just, it would shift it. We wouldn't have the problem we're having with the prophetic. Like it, it would completely fix it. And so just, you know, that, that kind of thing. If there's a thought, if there's something that's there, just starting to ask questions, bringing God into the conversation. If you have relationships, start talking to the person. You know, hey, I, I just, like, are you thinking about this? Like, is this, you know, is this something? Oh, yeah, I've been wanting that. And now all of a sudden, you know, okay, so I, I, I thought it, and they're already wanting it. So I must assume that I'm picking up what they're wanting, I don't want to say, well, God told me. I'm just going to say, well, hey, that's awesome. And if it's a good thing, if it's a negative thing, say, well, that's not good, right? But if it's a good thing, let's just assume that. Well, that's, man, that's awesome. Can, can I pray with you about that? Let's ask God to do that for you. But we don't want to say, well, God's saying you're going to, he's going to do that. Because we may be giving them hope for something. Maybe God's not promising that. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a good thing and it's a prayer, but it's not a promise. We don't want to put God's word on it because, you know, I mean, the pain, we were having a conversation yesterday. But, I, I mean, I know the pain of, of having people put promises on something that are the, the intents of the heart yeah. and, and having to deal with the disappointment. Yeah. And, and what that feels like, it, I mean, it, it's hard to deal with that kind of pain. 
And, and then trying to separate out what's the betrayal from God and what was actually just in, inaccurate and what was wrong. And then, like, let's not force people to have to do that. I mean, they're gonna, we're going to have to figure that out ourselves enough because we confuse and we're not hearing perfectly because we're still fallen. I mean, there will come a day when we know as fully as we are known. Like, in that day, there's not going to be any need for prophecy anymore because there's, there's not going to be any lack of understanding. Like, we're, we're going to have the full knowledge. Nobody's going to need to tell me this is what God's saying. I'm already going to know it because I'm going to know fully even as I'm fully known. So, you know, at that point, there's no need for that. But until then, it's all this interaction that's helping us together as a family understand what God is doing and step into his will. Yeah. Yeah. Last question. Last question. Um, you had this statement, and so it was a statement that you kind of just made. So um, It might not be relevant to all the topics, but it was a statement you made which you said spiritual growth has to do with surrender and not time. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my frustrations with often the stock standard answers to certain things, to spiritual growth, uh, that we often say is you just need to spend more time with the Lord, right? Now, I get, I get it. But when we get to situations where people have got two jobs, they've got kids who are sick at home, maybe mental things, they don't have a lot of time. Mm. And I almost feel as if what we're saying is it's only really the privileged few who get to enjoy spiritual growth because they have more time. So <laughs> what I'm saying. So I'm trying to hear what, what you're saying there and what, what this, this balance is. I mean, yeah. even for my own life, but even for the lives of others, because yeah, yeah. you're dealing with people who have less um, access to resources, how are you going to help them grow spiritually if they, if they just don't have the time because of life circumstances? Does that make sense, what I'm asking? Yes. You yeah. know, it makes, it makes perfect sense. So, side, side thought, and then I'm going to jump into your main question, because you said, we, you know, we talk about time, um, you know, spending more time with the Lord. Well, the idea of time with the Lord is practicing the presence of God, right? We're, we're trying to practice something. And, and there's the old saying, practice makes perfect. It's not true. Practice makes permanent. Good practice makes perfect. But bad practice creates permanent bad habits. And so spending unquality time with the Lord actually can create immaturity more than maturity. So how we do that, which is why I say it's about surrender. It doesn't matter if I am holding a screaming baby or if I'm in the middle of work, I can spend time with the Lord because it's not about that I've cloistered myself like the monk right, and, and hidden away and I'm spending time with the Lord. It's because in the midst of life, I've figured out how to consciously bring my thoughts back to him and surrender my desires. So every thought that I have, I'm judging it with his thoughts. Every desire I have, I'm judging it with his desires. Every emotion that I have, I'm judging it with his emotions to the best of my ability. And, and I, I didn't learn this when I was in ministry. I actually learned this when I was a banker. So I'm high pressure, sales, I'm, my check is based off of commissions. Uh, it was during that time that I learned how to spend time with the Lord. I started doing what, what's called the divine hours. So it, it's, it's time, four set times of prayer where you spend a minute in silence and you read a psalm and you spend some time in prayer. 
So every morning, first thing, it's about 10 minutes. Lunch break, I would literally go to a closet in the bank that I worked in, close the door, and sit in the closet and do my quiet time. As soon as I got off work, as soon as I sat down in the car, I'd spend five minutes. I'd do it right then. When I laid down for sleep before I went to bed, I did it right then, four times a day. It was the busiest season of my life because I was doing that and I was interning at the church for about 20 hours a week. So I'm working uh, two full-time jobs, basically, a full-time plus, plus a half-time job. And that's where I learned how to spend more time with the Lord. It's, it's in the middle of busyness, and it's, but, but what happened is that constant, like, I mean, I had a set hour, it, between 6 and 9 a.m., sometime between that three hours, didn't have to be right at 6, didn't have to be right at 7, sometime between 6 and 9 a.m., 9 a.m., I spent that time, sometime between noon and 2, I spent that time, sometime between 4 and 7, I spent that time, and right before I went to bed, whatever time that was, that, that's where I spent that time. So every single day, that, that was my habit. I did that for two years, four times a day. But what it did is it started to develop this thing where I started being aware of God, more aware of God in the middle of whatever I was doing. I'd be having a conversation with a client, and I would just be aware. I'd feel his presence come. I'd get a word of wisdom. I'd get a word of knowledge. I would just... I would know how to pray. I would know how to think. I'd know what was going on in their lives. I mean, just all of a sudden, it was just, it, it just developed this habit of awareness. And I've actually found it harder to do that now that I'm in ministry because there's this false thought that because I'm doing stuff for God, I'm actually spending time with God, um, which is the great trap of ministry. You get so busy that you actually don't spend the time that you need to to develop that relationship. Um, but thankfully, I developed that <laughs> then, and it, it's kept me in many ways. So that, that's, that's what you do. And, and in, it's in that, that moment, like, it, you, you develop this sensitivity. Um, oh, what was his name? No, I lost his name, but he was a missionary. He decided he was going to figure out how to pray without ceasing. That, that, that verse says pray without ceasing. And so he, he started um, setting his clock every hour on the hour. He would stop and think about God just, just for a minute, not even a minute. I think it was like 30 seconds, it was just a short period of time. And, and he did that. And then once he had that habit, he was doing it every hour that he was awake. Then, then he started doing it every 30 minutes. And then every 15 minutes. Then every 10 minutes. Then every five minutes. Until he literally walked through the day aware of God nonstop. And he went from this missionary that was in this remote area to standing before kings and priests because people started recognizing there was something different about this guy. Man, I wish I could remember his name. I just reread that story two weeks ago. And it went. I can't grab it. But that concept, like, I mean, obviously, he, he had a different situation. He's in a different culture, and, you know, he had a lot more time on his hands 
But the principle of constant awareness and in every moment, every, every time I realize that I am not thinking about God being with me, that I'm not conscious of him right here, I, I come back to it. Like, I, I'll, I'll recognize it multiple times through the day, and I come back to it. Now, there's days where I never recognize because I, I just, I never lose it. I want that to be all the time. But I, I've got, like, I, I've had days where it's just the whole day. I'm aware. I'm constantly, you know, I'm in a conversation with somebody. I'm in a hard conversation with somebody, and I desperately, that, I, it's easier to stay more consciously aware. Like, it's just like a coming back to that place, always. And that, in, in that place, I feel when, when I start thinking something that hurts his heart, I feel his presence lift. When, when I start going in a wrong direction, I just feel that distance. And I, I, I've had it literally, I mean, it was, it was not, not sin, not thinking wrong. I, I was just, I, I decided I was, I was doing one thing. I decided I was going to go pick up a computer that I needed to pick up. I bought a new computer. It come in. I got the thing. I had some time, got in the car, started driving down the road. And as I drove down the road, I felt the presence of God lift. So I just turned around and went back to where I was and stayed there. Picked up the computer the next day. I just didn't, I just didn't want to do that. I, there was something. I was going to miss something. I have no idea what I would have missed. Nothing special happened in that period of time. I, I have no idea. But that, I just felt his, his pleasure. Like he wanted me there, so I just stayed there. I just wherever his smile is. Yeah. I, I've been in the middle of conversation. Like, like last night, I was starting to, to prophesy to Mark. I was giving him that word, and I stopped in the middle of it because I felt it lift. I'm like, the next thing that comes out of my mouth isn't going to be God if I say this. I, I can't say another word until I feel that again, until I come back to that place. And you, you just, you develop that sensitivity, and it just becomes your norm. Yeah. Great, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Brother Lawrence? Brother Lawrence? No, that was practicing the presence of God. Yeah, no, this was... Um, was in the middle of the 1900s, and I'm pretty sure he was in India. He, he was in... I'm sorry? No, yeah, I mean, I remember William Carey. He was also a missionary, but it wasn't him. I know. I keep on wanting to say Frank Bartleman, but he was the Azusa Street guy, so I know that's not him. Ah, that's going to bug me. We'll be having lunch later, and I'll be like, bye, and I'll just yell a name. You'll be like, what is he talking about? I remember all right, so a couple more things. Responding to what God said. So we're hearing him. We've got some discernment. We're starting to figure out, was it really him? Was it not him? We've got community that's a part of this. Then we, we want to look at the broader conversation. Because when God speaks, usually a moment's message is just part of an ongoing conversation. Right. If you have a dream, if you get a vision, if you get a prophetic word, that's not intended to be the whole message full stop. It's a sentence in the middle of an ongoing conversation that fits within the context of your life with him. And so you, know, you, you want to take a look at the other things that are going on. You, one, you, you need to know what God is saying, right? And then, you know, you need to know when it should happen. If you're going to do something, 
but you don't need to know how it will work. So there's bigger decisions. There's usually a lifetime of conversation that feeds into a larger decision. There's, there's experiences that we've had throughout our life that, that set themes, that, that point in a direction, that we start to recognize a, 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 this, well, this kind of a situation has come up or, or this type of miracle or this type of spiritual activity has happened or this type of interaction or these types of people keep on prop, cop, um, popping up, not propping up, popping up in my life. Um, we, we start to recognize that, that the education, now not necessarily formal education, but the things that we're learning. So maybe that, that's the, the themes that we keep on recognizing in Scripture. And, and there's, there's themes that fit in. That's part of this ongoing conversation. Maybe it's, it's other things. We just have a passion to learn about healthy eating, like my wife. Like there's something that God's doing in that. Like there's, there's different things that God will bring up in the education that's also part of that. The giftings that we operate in, um, paying attention to themes. There, there's a, a lot of great spiritual gifts assessments. Um, finding a good one is helpful. I, I, I like the Wagner Houts um, spiritual gifts assessment. Uh, it's you know, developed in the 80s, 90s by Peter Wagner from, uh, uh, I can't remember what Houts' first name was, but um, he, he'd kind of used that as a basis. But it's a series of questions you ask yourself. You've got to be really honest. But one of the things that's helpful is choose a time period that you're going to answer those questions with. Because giftings are often seasonal. So you'll see certain things in some seasons that they just happen a lot, but in other seasons they don't. So if you're doing that, decide, I'm going to answer this based off of what has happened in the last year. Because it'll have a question. People often tell me, or people rarely tell me, or sometimes people tell me. Like, it'll have, like, different levels. There's five different levels for, for each one. And maybe, you know, 10 years ago, people used to tell you that, you know, when you did this, there was great fruit, but you haven't heard that in the last year. You, you want to recognize the season that you're in. Or maybe it's over a five-year season. You, you can recognize themes, and you'll see those things move. That's part of how God speaks. His activity in our life is part of his voice. So looking at those things, looking at the passions that we have, you know, what bugs you? You know, I get bugged by bad prophetic. One of my callings is to reform the prophetic, bring health to it. Of course it's going to bug me. It's supposed to because I'm supposed to fix it. What bugs you? It's probably what you're supposed to fix. And if you can figure out how to develop and communicate a solution rather than just talking about how bad it is, you can be a part of the solution instead of just making it worse for other people. <coughs> so your passions. What, what are those passions? Sometimes they're positive, but often... We recognize them most clearly when, when they're, they're negative passions. Often those things are part of your calling. And what opportunities do you have? The, those are ways that God speaks. And when all of these things together, now you've got destiny revelation. Like there, there's the revelation of, you know, go talk to this person. And that, you, you don't need much. All you need is just a thought. Like, go talk to him. Who cares? 
But when you're going to make a life choice, all these things begin to line up and you can recognize the path that, that God has put you on. I have no question whatsoever I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do in my life. I've, I've got all of these things, and I can, I can tell you stories after story how every single one of these, and then prophetic words, and then dreams that I've had, and, and then, you know, things that God has shown me, and like all of these things, and they all line up. I know I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I have no question, because all this lines up. But I've spent time thinking about this, looking at this, and how this fits into my life. What am I doing? And, and why am I doing what I'm doing? And, and I make big decisions off of years of discernment, not off of days. I, I, I knew I was supposed to plant a church. 2011, when we left Boston to come to, uh, to, come to Texas, I knew there would come a time. I just didn't know when it was. And I just held on to it. It took 10 years before it happened. But over that 10 years, I, mean, I don't know, hundreds of confirmations and things that built into it and experiences and understandings and conversations and encouragements and prophetic words and clarifications and then opportunities and then doors and all of this came together. And it got to the point where I knew that I knew if I didn't do this, I was in rebellion. When you have big decisions, that, that's the safe way of doing it. You don't always get that benefit. I, I, I know one, one of the reasons that that happens to me, because it's part of the message that I carry. Like there, there's, it's because I carry this of understanding God's activity, everything that he does in our life, it's all interconnected. It's all guiding us in a direction. And if instead of just taking one thing and trying to figure out how to follow one thing, we see the big picture and we figure out what that means to our lives, we can step forward into something with greater confidence. And so I rarely get decisions of, you know, I had a, you know, an astounding encounter and this let me know that this is why I've got to do this. Jesus, because this happened, and 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 I wouldn't have made a decision off of any one of these things, but because they're all together, the weight, the overwhelming weight is pushing me in this direction. Um, when, when that happens, now all of a sudden, you, you know, if I run into difficulty, or if I run into pushback, it, it, it's just a thing. There's so much weight of the impetus of God behind me, it's not going to shake me much. Uh, if I have pushback on teaching about the prophetic, I'm not going to do much. I've got so much weight behind me, I, 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 like, I, I don't know what could stop me. I mean, cut my head off. I'm going to keep on preaching. I, I did a study on martyrs not too long ago. You know, there's been 120 people in church history that after their head got cut off, they finished praying or finished preaching what they were saying. 120. Isn't that amazing? One of them picked his head up and carried it for four miles to the top of a hill and finished his sermon on the way. The whole crowd followed him. Yeah. No, I'm serious. Yeah, you could search it up. Search it up. Like martyrs, decapitated martyrs. And start, you, you can find stories. Yeah, it's wild. 
That's our God. Anyways. Major decisions often have multiple revelation. And it comes, you get different pieces from various sources and they start to add to the understanding of what it is that God is saying. They start to give greater definition to what it is that God is saying. They give greater clarity to what God is saying. And when it all comes together, there, there's great strength in, in doing that. So one, one of the things that's helpful is when you're looking at a major decision, when you're looking at you know, a, a, a new move, a move, new direction, if you will, for your life, and start thinking about and finding all the stuff that's led you that makes you think that this is what God is saying and start to collate it. Just find it, write it down, record it someplace. You know, me and Donna first, we're moving from Arizona to New Hampshire to, you know, to be with John Paul. I mean, we had that one experience. That was one of a of hundred. And I've got a journal that has, I don't know, 20, 30 pages written out of all the different confirmations, all the different words, all the different dreams, all the different things that happened that said we were supposed to move to New Hampshire. And I just, I, every single one of them. And then when it got hard, and it got hard, because, I mean, as soon as we got there, we, we were, you know, if we didn't have that weight of revelation, we'd have turned around and just went back to Arizona. <laughs> I mean, in the first couple hours, <laughs> it was that bad. <laughs> we'd get into New Hampshire, it's like, what did we do? Are we stupid? <laughs> but we knew that it was God, and we pushed through. And when it got hard, when it got difficult, we, just, we could just go back to that. But God said. But God said. But God said. And it becomes a strength for you. Because if you're doing something, if God has called you into something, he's called you into something to take ground that the enemy thinks that he has. Which means that there's warfare. It's not because the enemy is attacking you. It's because you're attacking him. Amen. The gates of hell will not prevail. How many of you have ever been chased down the road by a gate? Never. <laughs> gates don't move. It means the church is supposed to be advancing. Amen. It's not the gates that do the attacking. It's us that do the attacking. And the gates will not prevail. When you start stepping forward and that resistance happens, remembering why is so key. It helps you to hold on through the difficulty, through the question, through the pain, through the confusion. Because usually when God gives you a word, seems like everything that's the opposite of it starts to happen. You know, remember David? Hearing. You're going to be king. And then Samuel runs. <laughs> right? There's a king still already on the throne, you know. And then poor David. I mean, it started to look like, I mean, first thing, he, he gets sent back out into the fields. He's got to take care of the, the sheep. Like, his life didn't change at all. A couple years later, his brothers are doing all this stuff. I mean, they're the great warriors, and they're out on the battlefront. And he's, you know, here Take these cheeses and these bread and take it to your brothers and give it to their commander. And he kills Goliath and it disappears again. And then the king gets a demon. 
and he plays guitar for him, well, harp, right? And then he starts to get opportunities, and he starts to go out, and he starts to see victories. It looks like things are going to start to happen, and the king decides he's jealous and starts to kill him. And he runs. And 20-some years after he got the word, he gets a fulfillment. But it's only a partial fulfillment. He just gets the tribe of Judah. He's in Hebron for, for seven years before he gets the rulership of the whole nation. 27 years after the promise. Abraham, father of many nations. He's barren. Nothing is working. Nothing is working. His wife has this great idea. Well, I'm going to serve it. Okay, let's try that. God says, well, that wasn't me. And he has to deal with that for 13 years. 25 years after the promise, he gets the fulfillment. Jeremiah, probably a teenager when the Lord comes to him and said, I called you while you were still in the womb to be a prophet. 15 years later, and he was told in that moment, don't let them say you're too young. 15 years later, the king is trying to find the word of the Lord and sends all of his people across town to hold of the prophetess and ignores Jeremiah. 20 years later, he starts to be recognized as a prophetic figure, and then people kill him because they didn't like him. Sought him in two. I mean, from promise to fulfillment, when it's a destiny promise, there's usually a period of time where it seems like everything opposite is happening. And if we don't hold on to what God has said, we will give up hope. And, and, and the thing about the kingdom is you can't lose if you don't quit. You can't be defeated. But you can choose to be disappointed and quit and never get there. If you just, if you just keep going, you, you can't lose. You can't lose. If you're following a word from God, there's, there's no way you can be stopped. You just keep moving forward. And you, you've got to be convinced enough that it's actually the Lord. Because if you're doing it out of ambition, sooner or later, that's going to die, and you're going to give up. If you're doing it because you need to do it to find your identity, that, that's not going to last very long. It's going to get hard. If you're doing it to get people to like you, people are going to hate you. If you're actually doing what God wants you to do, I mean, Paul told Timothy, he goes, anyone who seeks to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, period, anyone. One of the, one of the discerning ways to know whether or not you're actually living a godly life in Christ Jesus, are you suffering persecution or people resisting you? If they're not, you're probably not doing it right. Everybody likes me. It's so good being a Christian. You're probably doing something wrong. Now, you should have family. The people that really matter, they're going to be with you. You getting this? Once you have that weight, you're an unstoppable force. Okay. Wow. Six minutes. I can wrap this up. So what do you do now? There are different types of revelation with different responses. So first, 
identity revelation. When God speaks about who you are, how you respond to that is you believe it, you pray it, and you declare it. When God starts speaking things like that, you, you, just, you just hold on to it. You let it form the way that you see yourself. If he's giving you identity, he's right. Even if it doesn't look like it, even if other people have told you the opposite, it does not matter. You, you hold on to it. And he's probably speaking it because you need to hear it. And so the more that you renew your mind with the truth that he's spoken, the greater strength that you're going to have to be able to live in that identity. So identity words, you believe it, you pray it, and you declare it. Um, just a... A side note, one of, the, one of the online classes that we've got on our website is called Crafting Prophetic Declarations. We talk about how to make prophetic declarations, uh, either identity words, but also direction words when, when it feels like there's resistance. How do you craft a prophetic declaration to, to break through? So if you're interested in that, that's one of those that's available on our website. A correction word, when God is correcting something that we're doing, you just receive it. Yes, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. And then you, you turn around, you, you, you go in the other direction. Um, is, is there healing that you need? Maybe there's, there's inner healing. Maybe you've done that because you have a certain way of seeing yourself or seeing other people. Maybe, maybe you've made an inner vow. Maybe you have a judgment that, that needs to be dealt with. Um, when, when there's correction, if it's not easy to quickly repent, there's a reason and that reason is always related to a wound that's in our soul that when, if we can get that healed, we'll be able to move forward. Um, and then the other one is, is direction. Like God pointing us in a direction, whether this is a, a destiny thing um, or, or a movement. So the idea of, of the moment direction versus a season direction. If it's just an action, just do it. Right? Just, just do the action. Whatever it is, just, just get it done. Obviously, you believe that it's the Lord. If it's a positive thing, even if you're not sure if it's the Lord, just go for it. It's a good thing. It doesn't hurt to do something good and, and it not be God. You, you might find out that it actually is God. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verses 12 and 13. It's a great passage. Um, but it's a, if it's a life course... Prepare for it, but don't try to make it happen. Like if David would have tried to make himself king, he, he would have ruined it. He would have never gotten to where he was going. He, he would not have uh, had this, this, um, uh, what's this, this generational thing that started because he did it right. And he probably would have lost it to Absalom, but because he did it right when and not rebelled, when rebellion came against him, he was able to, to stand, and God justified him because he refused to justify himself. So how, how you do it, if you make it happen, uh, it, you, you'll probably do it out of time. Now, that doesn't mean you don't step forward when God tells you, but start preparing now, because what could stop that from happening? Say, I don't know when this is going to happen, but God said this is going to happen. Well, if, if God said right now, what would stop it from happening? You know, if you're going to be a missionary in another country, well, do you have a passport? I mean, don't go buy a plane ticket yet, but at least get a passport. 
start that process. I mean, it takes a while to get a passport right now, so you better start soon if that's actually a thing, right? What, you know, what, 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 what is it? Like, I, I knew I was going to start preaching. I, I was working in a bank. We had a, a room that was in the back of the bank that was used for meetings, you know, 20 years before. It was an older bank building, and nobody used it again, and it had a little podium. So during lunch, I would go back into that little room in an empty room, and I would preach sermons and practice preaching because I knew that one day I was going to be preaching. I, I just started practicing. I, I, I didn't try to get churches to get me to come. I, I just started developing the skills that I needed. What, what, what's the skill that you need to fulfill what God has called you to do? Um, you know, it, are you, are you going to be starting a business? Well, what do you know about developing a plan? What do you know about management? What do you know about hiring and firing? What do you know about the particular type of business, that industry? What, what, what skills do you need to add so that when, you're, when, it's, when he says, now's the time, if you're going to invent something, like, what, what can you learn? There, there's things that you can learn to develop that, at least learn how to, how to do a patent, how to, how, how to protect the thing that God has given you. There, there's a lot of things that you can do. You, you don't want to make it happen, but you also don't want to hinder it. And it's to start getting prepared for it. And then starting, you know, asking God, what, what is the timing? What step do you want me to take right now? And if you don't hear anything, you must assume there's nothing you have to do right now. You, you've taken care of the stuff that would hinder it, and now you're in the waiting process. It's just the waiting. But when he says to move, start moving, because it's like the, the surfer catching the wave. A lot of times, the bigger it is, you're going to start moving before it seems like it's time. Because you've got to get a little momentum, because when that wave comes, you've got to already be moving, right. or else you're going to miss it when it goes. And so start talking about it. Talk about the, the revelation that you have. Talk about it with friends. Talk about it with people. Talk about it with advisors. They're going to help, they're, they're going to help you stay accountable <laughs> when it gets hard, but you said... <laughs> You told me how God told you this was going to happen. You told me about how you had this experience, and this person prophesied over you. They start giving you strength when you start to lose strength for yourself, and there's power that comes from that. But there's also something that gets formed. When you begin to talk about what God is saying, it actually makes room for that to happen in the room. Review the revelation, especially if it seems delayed or resisted. And we talked about writing it down. Go back over it. Look it over. Remind yourself how God spoke, what he said, when he said it. Wage warfare with those prophetic words. 1 Timothy 1.19, uh, Paul told Timothy to wage warfare with the prophetic words that have been spoken. Now, warfare is just speaking them. This is going to happen. It looks like the opposite, but this is going to happen. And you begin to hold on to that reality in your heart, in your spiritual atmosphere, because what you allow inside is what you're going to release outside. What, what you steward, the atmosphere that you allow in your heart is going to affect everything. If you allow doubt in your heart, you're going to start releasing it, and it'll actually, it'll actually uh, pull strength away from you. you. And so it's that, that holding on to truth,
um, making declarations. We talked about prophetic declarations. Trust God. Don't trust your revelation. Don't trust your interpretation. Don't trust your application. Trust God. Even when he says something opposite. Hey, that, you know, the son, that, that promise that you had, I want you to take him up onto the top of the mountain and, and sacrifice him. That makes no sense, but hey, you told me I was going to be the father of many nations, and if you're saying to lay this down, you have, my trust is not on what I think, but on your voice, I trust you, not myself. I trust you, not my revelation. I trust you, not my manifestation. We keep that trust in God, and if you can hold on to that place, it will keep you moving through until you get to where you're going, and then celebrate every step. When things start moving, when things start happening, celebrate, start t sharing testimonies, share what God is doing. Like th there's this idea, and I've heard people say, you know, hey, when God speaks, you know, make sure you don't tell anybody because the enemy will hear it and he'll stop it. Right, wait a second. So the enemy can actually stop God's will from being done. Wow, that's a small God. No. No, you don't have to worry about that. You just trust God. You just trust God and move forward. Amen? Amen. Amen. Quick question. Can we keep you guys for another 10 minutes? Are you sure? Days. Days. Okay. It's good. Because I had something else that I wanted to do that we haven't gotten to. So I was going to have Brian share testimony about following God's voice. How they came together. So get a microphone right here. Okay, there we go. Okay, you want me to stand up here? Great, I'll stand up here. Uh, okay, so um, about seven years ago, I got a download from God. I got some revelation. And I drew this out on five or six pieces of paper on how people would interact with one another. I got all this stuff, and I just wrote it down. And I thought, man, this is from God. This is a setup we can do with, with groups of people, how to train people, you know, and how to encourage people and put people together and put teachers with people and all this kind of stuff. It was structure that I just got. And... Uh, I thought, man, I got to make this happen. And so Julie and I, and it was, and Julie's mom was involved in this too. Um, we decided, well, who who do we need to get with, and how do we need to to make this happen? Because obviously God gave me this download, so He wants this to happen, and we got to make this happen quick. <laughs> so then I met met with these two other couples. And, uh, and they, they had a similar, you know, passion for wanting to move into something new with God. And so we started meeting on a weekly basis. And uh, after we met for several weeks, this whole situation, and we had some really good times meeting together, it completely blew up. <laughs> and I said, you know what, um, yeah, I don't think we're going to do this with these, these people. You know, this download and this structure that, that God had given us. And so we just waited, you know, 
everything that John just told you, you know, related to, to working this out and how you respond to God. And we just waited. And I think we waited. Did we wait a year, maybe? I think we waited about a year. And, uh, and after that year, uh, we met John. Julie and I met John and Donna. And we, we went to Papa Do's with them, like the, one of the very first meetings and because that was in the download from God, we had to eat papados. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and Julie's mom was there, and she asked John. She said, "John, she said, what can, what can, can Brian and Julie and and myself do to help you?" And John started describing what was on my paper. And a week prior to that meeting with John and Donna. I was in California, and uh, someone came and prophesied to me, and they were, not just to me, to Julie and I, was prophesying different things to us about different things that were going to happen in our life, some of which have, have happened, and some of, some of which is still yet to be fulfilled. But this guy says, he says, I even see you going to Hong Kong. And seven days later was that meeting with John and Donna, and guess where John asked me to go with him? Hong Kong. And so we went to Hong Kong just shortly after that. But uh, it is so exciting when you start to, to stir up these conversations with God. I mean, do you have multiple conversations going on right now with God? You should. Julie and I have multiple conversations going on right now about different subjects and different things because we're doing life together and we're, we're, we're sharing life. I'm interested in what she's thinking about. She's interested in what I'm thinking about. We're both interested in what God's thinking about. So it's a, just a huge encouragement, you know, to, uh, to flow in this understanding and, and know about him. Just after the teaching, the Spirit gives life. And he's given life to a new phase of your life in communication with God. Just after grabbing hold of some of this revelation that John's been sharing, your life will not be the same. It's Romans 12, 2. God makes us into a new creation by changing the way you think. And you think with your heart and you think with your mind. And so now you're going to be launched out next week as you go to work or you go wherever you go. And it's going to be completely different because you're going to learn how to pray without ceasing, how to process what he's given you. Should I hold on to this and just pray about it, or am I supposed to go tell the person? You know, you put all these little nuggets together, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's like Jesus is, you know, he's showing up through your life in a new way. So it's just super exciting. So what's fun about that is a couple years before that, I'd had this thought that I wanted to do a meeting where we could start having, you know, prophetic ministry and just start to equip people to hear from God and respond to God and, and work together. And we, we tried something and it worked for uh, six, eight months or something like that. And it just kind of fizzled out and it didn't work. And I'm like, man, I really thought, like, I mean, I had this whole picture and everything and it didn't work out. And so we're, we're talking and they tried it. And it didn't work. But when we got together, it worked. And we've been doing that monthly meeting for five years now? Five years. And we're raising people up. We've got the structures, the different teams that are working. 
Um, they brought a piece that, that I did not have, the, a strategy and a structural piece administration um, that, that brought, I, I brought a piece that they didn't have, uh, but together we were able to, to develop something and actually fulfill it. But it's not always clean. Like we both tried separately and it didn't work out. We just held on to it. Okay, so well that, well that wasn't what God meant. What is it? And sometimes it's not, it's not that clean. Sometimes you try and you fail and you get back up and you try again. But if God spoke, don't let the disappointment stop you. Just learn from that and continue to move forward. Continue to move forward. Does that make sense? Yay. Man, I think we could talk for, for days, for days, because there's so much to this. I've, I've, I've spent a lifetime trying to understand how God speaks. And I'm constantly learning. There's constantly something else. Keep, keep, keep growing, keep learning, um, keep pressing in. I'm, I'm going to, I just want to tell a couple things because I always bring resources because there's always more that I want to say that I didn't get to say. I want to let you know what, what's out there. Um, one, we, we mentioned a couple times dream interpretation. We, we do have some stuff on dream interpretation. We've got a CD on dream foundations, which is, the basic introduction. How do you recognize if a dream's from God? How do you respond to dreams? How do you recognize if a dream's from the enemy, from your soul? Go through that. It it's just kind of lays the foundation for thinking biblically about dreams. Um, and then dream elements is a, a dream dictionary. It starts to teach you the biblical concepts of metaphor and how it fits in dream interpretation. Um, kind of more related to what we were talking about, intro to prophecy. Uh, this is a, it's a DVD. There's five messages that are on two discs. And uh, I go through in depth, basically verse by verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and teach how to discern spiritual activity, um, how the prophetic works, how, how it relates to the church. Um, it, it's very, very helpful. I, I call it intro to prophecy, but it's um, probably more than entry level for people that that have been around the prophetic, find something fun in that. And then, you know, tips for giving and tips for receiving prophetic words. So if you're going to give a prophetic word, some thoughts about things you need to think about to be able to get there to, to, to give it well and to be helpful and, and beneficial, if you're going to receive a prophetic word, then how do you respond to it? We, we've talked about some of the things that are on here, but this, this kind of goes more specifically into an individual prophetic word to you and, and give some application to some of the principles that we've talked about um, in, in that. So just some helpful resources that are available. And uh, yeah, so let me pray and then I'll turn it back to, to Marco. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to explore what you're doing and what you're saying. Lord, I'm asking you to continue to increase prophetic activity in this community. Each of the communities that, that are represented here and the people that are, that are watching online, Lord, would you begin to stir up uh, that activity? And Lord, would you let it be healthy? Lord, we thank you that you are bringing about a prophetic reformation in your church because you've called your church to be a people that hear you, that respond to you, that follow your voice. And so, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm asking that, that what has been shared the, this weekend, Lord, that it would be seeds that would help, seeds that would strengthen that purpose. And we just say yes and amen in the name of Jesus Christ.